episode 56 in five, four, three, two. Improvising is rough, guys. Here we go. When you don't pay a musician, that's what you get. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, the show where we improvise. Welcome to episode 56, proudly hosted by North Central Indiana's Rock 98.5. Tonight's episode is the Lawrence Taylor of podcasts. It's the sum of six consecutive primes. Tetranachi. Ironic, yet semi-perfect. It's the atomic number of barium and our 56th regular episode. I'm Foggy, and with me as always is JPP. Easy listening sounds for the hard of hearing. It's JPP. I'm surprised you didn't call it the Lawrence Welk of podcasts. <laughs> that would be like 90. This is true. We're working on it. Hey! <laughs> and joining us tonight is El Rey, Joe Wright. Well, hello, gentlemen. How are you guys? Splendid. Fantastic. Yeah. Doing quite well. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. In the quarantine age, there's been a lot of cooking. I said screw it tonight. We actually had delivery pizza. Felt nice to take a couple minutes to kick back on the couch before getting ready here. So I'm in the mindset to to talk some music. Awesome. Lots of music going on. Uh, Joe, you holding up okay in this COVID time? Yeah, doing, doing okay. Doing a lot of yard work, trying to spend time outside, ride bikes, get pizza delivered <laughs> occasionally. It's a nice treat. Yeah. 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 I don't want to brag, but honestly, since this whole thing started, I've lost 45 pounds. I'm not even joking. Wow. It's been, yeah, it's been great in that regard. Um, you know, I'm not saying this whole situation is great, but if there's anything I can um, take from it, there, it's been habit forming and uh, it's really kicked things up a notch for me. So I'm going to definitely keep working on that momentum to help improve my health odds <laughs> given the temperature of things. Yeah, good deal. Wow. Now I feel bad because I put on weight. So I'm going to have to start working out tomorrow. Keep up with JPP. <laughs> that's right. Holy cow. That's incredible. Good for yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've lost a, a whole eight-year-old off my body. It's <laughs> <laughs> have, Not have a literal done? eight-year-old, I hope. No. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, good. She What's... flew off the treadmill. <laughs> What's the secret? Are you are you doing anything extra? Are you just uh, is, is it the food routine? Is it? Yeah, that's... I mean, I'm not going down to the office all the time, and there's a little greasy spoon diner at the basement of the building that I worked in, so that was a piece of it. it had great tenderloins and mm. uh, you know burgers and all that stuff, and they always give you way too many fries. Um, plus, <laughs> you know, busy schedule with kiddo and extracurricular activities didn't feel like cooking you go grab drive through real quick and yep. come home so yeah. that's out of the equation and i'm choosing what we eat and well we are collectively and that's really made all the difference and so uh, you know lots of uh, better decisions in that regard plus like what you know, joe said getting out there with the bike and in the yard and just staying active and enjoying the sunshine when possible uh-huh. i'm impressed way to go jpp enough of my testimony by my <laughs> <laughs> You're like Dr. Phil now. Have you read my books? Have you seen my videos? <laughs> Have you seen my butt now? <laughs> no. Well, now that you're getting all cocky, we're going to have to own you. So I think it's time. We should probably do the Lester Bangs Inspired Challenge. All right. You guys ready? Yes. I'm ready. Okay. In honor of one of our earlier episodes, I, I kind of took it back a notch. Um, I will say this is... Look, in my searches and my attempt to find what I was looking for, this seems to be a retrospective review, but we'll give it a shot. A little more than a decade separated this album's release from the unceremonious end of the band's recording career. After a delirious rise to global superstardom in the second half of the 70s, this band was finally starting to lose steam. Its two constituent couples uh, were either separated or divorced by the release of their final album. And while all four members continued working together with an impressive level of professionalism, the fact remained that they were writing music and lyrics, including post-breakup ballads and wounded domestic dramas for their ex-wives to sing. 
The band had soured on touring and promoting themselves after enduring some of the most frenzied appearances this side of Beatlemania, and the fatigue was showing up in their music. Let's see here, get rid of clues. After conquering the pop charts in dozens of countries around the world, everyone was ready for a new challenge, and they were dreaming of a detour into musical theater while two other members of the band were curious about reviving their dormant solo careers. Boredom aside, their commercial peak was clearly in the rearview mirror by the early 80s. Their last successful album since the beginning of their career and their band generation spanning core audience was starting to wander into new spaces. The children who grew up with them, omnipresent on the radio, were maturing into punk, rap, and new wave. The adults who enjoyed their lighthearted melodic hits were less interested in minimally arranged character studies. Studio sessions in the spring of 82 yielded little more than a few singles, and by the end of that year, it was clear their time had come. Now, huh. that's uh, pretty much it. I, 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 I was on the track of a few bands, and then at the end, you kind of took a turn that threw me off. My, my first instincts were like Chicago or <laughs> Air Supply or, mm-hmm. you know, or Super Tramp. But you totally threw me off with the the last parts. Interesting. Got anything, Joe? Oh, there's there's. Oh man, the clues just kind of came rapid fire there for a couple of <laughs> of lines, and I was trying to work through those. And about the what's time the, you, you what's you the went, last part there? What are those last couple lines? Um, let's see here. Get finding it back. Oh, here we go. Studio sessions in the spring of 82 yielded lo- little more than a few singles. And by the end of that year is cl- time the band, uh, the time had come. Uh, let's see. Oh, that was the last sentence. Oh, yeah. The children who grew up with this band omnipresent on the radio were maturing into punk rap and new wave. The adults who enjoyed their lighthearted melodic hits were uh, less see, interested in minimally arranged character studies. Is it a band that has two leads? Because you mentioned um, ex-wives or something. Yes. Yep. And then, you know, of course, in the 70s with two leads, you think Pink Floyd. But obviously, that is not the case here. No. No, you're right. Gosh. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Joe. You're smarter than me. Late, I know. It's going to be so obvious. You guys are going to be like, ah! It's not the Bee Gees because they wouldn't have ex-wives. <laughs> this is true. That w- Okay. I'm. I was thinking Fleetwood Mac. You know, that's yeah, funny yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, because when I was um, coming up with this, I thought you know that might be a detour that somebody would take with this, but that's not it. I took the detour. I fell yeah. for it. Yep. Well, you do see a lot of memes talking about how you know somebody writes breakup songs, but Stevie Nicks made her ex boyfriend you know, <laughs> a guitarist. She told everyone what an asshole he was. <laughs> I guess I totally went to two male fronts. Gotcha. Is what I went to. Um, And then ABBA kind of flew through there for a minute. Well, I'll be damned, Foggy. You got it. Uh -uh. Nuh-uh. Oh, and the clue there is... is? uh, It was ABBA. Okay, look. I'm going to hold this up. That's the second name. Can you see that? That's the second name I wrote down. That's awesome. <laughs> but I threw, yeah, I threw myself off. But yep, is the yep. clue theater? Was that the one that I? Well, I thought the, ad, well, theatrical. I think was, the thing that was obvious to me was uh, after a delirious rise to global superstardom, um, its two constituent couples were either separated, divorced by the release of their final ap- mm. album. You know, because they were, of course, you know, two married couples. Uh, what's oh, interesting? I, I read go that ahead. Wrong. Okay, um, no, I heard what, that wrong. That's all right. No worries. I, I also kind of read it fast. Um, apparently, uh, one of the members, uh, last name of Linkstad, I'm, I'm not going to try to pronounce these properly, made an album with Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. And uh, Falskog scored a few solo hits and duets before largely retreating from public life. Um, so, you know, interesting to see, you know, where things had uh, settled after the dismantlement, essentially. But nonetheless, I just thought you know, hey, I'd like to see what, because uh, we did a 70s thing recently, and I was like, it'd be nice to kind of see an album review of a band that was such an iconic group for a long, mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was written, I believe, last year, and it was about a kind of a greatest hits compilation that had come out not too long ago. And uh, it, was like, it was cool to get some some history on there, because let's face it, you know, I make fun of ABBA, but I'm guilty pleasure. There's some cool tunes and, and some good arrangements and that kind of thing uh, from them. I have good memories of ABBA because 
my parents, my dad liked that. And so we had one of those long console stereo things, you know, mm -hmm. where you pull the, the lid up and underneath it is the turntable. And if you go to the left, you stack your albums, mm -hmm. you know, side by side. And, you know, we had that and we had ABBA and Islands yep. in the Stream, stuff like that, you know. So <laughs> I, I definitely connect that to my childhood with my parents. So that's I'm, cool. I'm going to nerd out. We had the same type of console. It had an eight track. It had the, you know, the turntable in it as well and a whole little storage case as well. And of course, the front had the nice wood trim and then you had the mesh to, to grill the speakers. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Well, something happened where there was a big dent in the front of one of those grills and there was a little hole. And I remember as a kid, I was playing around it and somehow I lost my Boba Fett action figure in there. and never <laughs> no. got him back. So, uh, someone, if you have that stereo and you find a Boba Fett, get a hold of me. Damn it. <laughs> and if you have the Boba Fett where it actually ejects the rocket, yeah, I can't confirm. Time. I don't. I don't have that much of a memory. <laughs> if you had a launching missile, but that was my Boba Fett. Damn it! <laughs> I'm just excited. I'm like Lil Mundy over here. <laughs> totally <laughs> owning it tonight. You need to play some. You win music with that. <laughs> no, very cool. Uh, that was a great one, Paul. Thank you. Hey, Excellent thank you. work. Awesome, awesome. Wonder, and, wonder uh, if Mundy will be listening at home and guess it while he's uh, driving around or something. Oh, that some bitch will probably get it before I did. <laughs> so monday <laughs> anyway so next week it looks like uh the lester bangs inspired challenge will be brought to you by el ray himself mr all joe right, Ryan. Right. So, my first one so cool. you're gonna have some big shoes to fill after that one because that was something outside of our wheelhouse yeah i do i try to stump monday do i just do i yes. just start you know do i start humble what do i do i don't know you got some to time to think. Monday. That's the whole thing. Well, yep. he, he's gotten every one so far. I, I don't think he's missed a one. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe one. I still one of my favorites was the time you found all those Amazon reviews. I think it was for Slipknot or something. This CD <laughs> is really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm gooder just, than their last. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing like, and since I miss baseball so much, um, young hotshot pitcher facing off against the veteran power hitter as I throw my Lester Bangs pitches over the plate and Monday <laughs> cranks them. <laughs> I hope you have a nice slider. But I shall give it my best. Yes. Awesome. I wish you the best on that. Thank you. May the odds be in your favor. Thank you. I, yes, the slider will come. I'll bring the slider. I'll be the Carlos Marmol of Lester Bangs challenges <laughs> for Cubs fans. We shall, we shall see. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, that brings us to second portion of the show, which is our challenge. And actually, the challenge this week was brought to you by Joe Rife. Um, this one is two weeks in the making because last week we had to veer out of the show. And so we're reconnecting this week. Joe, what was the challenge? Remind us. It was a good veer, but we're back on track. And the challenge was a three for three. So you come up with three songs on the same topic. And you pick the theme and you make the playlist. So pretty basic, but uh, also a little bit challenging in its simplicity, I thought. I I tried not to change my mind too much because I had a lot of three-song lists floating around, and I just had to land on one and keep it. So <laughs> I had some two-song lists, and I was like, I'm going to find the third. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I want to move to something else. Yeah. I did um, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's a couple that always just – pop up and then uh finding that third one isn't necessarily so easy because they're always the third song out there but do you really like that third song yeah you have to force it don't you yeah <laughs> <laughs> eh, you don't really fit but i need a third tune maybe i'll put it in the second spot i'll bury it so. well metalhead can't be here tonight but he did send in his choices you guys ready yes sir let's do yeah. that all right and he said do you want me to send the theme i think you'll get it <laughs> so here we go so his first song is Linkin Park, Lost on You. Second song, no surprise, his love for this band, Stabbing Westward, What Do I Have to Do? And his third song is Guns N' Roses, Used to Love Her, But He Had to Kill Her. <laughs> <laughs> the money's hit us with some relationship songs. <laughs> He's going for the full Carol Baskin experience here. <laughs> <laughs> I had to feed you to the tigers. That's right. Yeah. Oh, no. Put a little uh, olive oil and paprika on there. You're all set. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, those are definitely not a surprise if you know Metalhead. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely was a big Chester fan. Uh, Stabbing Westward, he absolutely loves them. And um, Guns and Roses, we've had a show recently on them, and he definitely displayed his love for them. So this is not a surprise at all. Nice choice. Absolutely. JPP, what did you come up with? <clears throat> all right, it's the top of the, the top of the hour here on K Rock here in Los Angeles, oh. California, on Valentine's Day. We got ourselves a nice little heavy metal love playlist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to start with our first song, Love by Strapping Young Lad. Hit it, boys. Music plays, commercial break. All right. We're back here at the top of the hour. It's Valentine's Day with love songs. We're going to bring you Love You to Death by Typo Negative. All right. <laughs> Ten minutes later, a couple commercials. <laughs> All right. Let's going to top it off with a heavy metal hit. Love Me Forever by Motorhead. Hit it. Anyway, sorry, I had to go cheesy. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, <laughs> you always have themes on radio stations, and it's like you don't hear too many people talk about heavy metal love songs, like actual mm-hmm. love songs. So I wanted to uh, explore some of those. Honorable mentions were, uh, of course, This Love by Pantera. That was mm-hmm. a very popular one. I remember Winston playing that riff to death after he learned it, and I was getting tired of it for a long time. Uh, love of a Lifetime by Firehouse. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, definitely big hair, but great guitar tone and some really cool hits from those guys. Uh, there's also I'm Still Loving You by the Scorpions. Uh, and uh, what's this one? Uh, don't remember that band. Band called Nightwish, While Your Lips Are Still Red. So that one kind of paints a poetic picture, and I don't yeah. really want to know. Anyway, <laughs> but, you know, nonetheless, uh, that's kind of what I came with up with on, uh, on my uh, themed playlist. Well, so done. wait a minute. What are you saying that? Heavy metal music isn't just moron music that's loud. What? <laughs> Seriously? Oh, no, I guess not. <laughs> you've, you've heard Periphery, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. Am, yeah. It's just interesting. I wish at some point, you know, you could just take people who scoff at different kinds of music and show them the pinnacle of each kind and mm-hmm. you know, let them know what they are missing when they issue things like that. So. Absolutely. Great choices. Thank you. Thank you. Did you think about Tainted Love by Soft Cell? You know, I, I <laughs> maybe a metal version of it. Oh, that's oh, not hard enough for you? No, no. I, I was made for loving you. How about that one? That's that's uh, that's a possibility. It's your list. Hell, do what you yeah. want. I, I, <laughs> I did. You did. Two heavy metal love song lists in a row. No, that's that? fun. I, that was... Uh, that, yeah, I didn't expect that. That was good. Thanks. Hey, no sweat. I'm going to go next because we have to leave the finale to the person who created the challenge. So my three songs were, are you ready? Ready. It doesn't even deserve a drum roll. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one is American Idiot by Green Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second one is Through Glass by Stone Sour. And the last one is Imitation of Life by Anthrax. Sweet. So what I did is I picked the sort of the theme or my topic, and then I went and found songs that I liked. So um, does the theme come through for you guys? Did did I do a good job? Yeah, I I do see a a ever-present theme. I was just trying to remember some of the lyrics to Imitation of Life. It's been a while. Well... I wrote a couple down that really stood out to me. There's nothing I hate more than all these plastic people Mm, with all their plastic promises and their plastic ideals. They just can't be themselves and live their own lives out. They're just an imitation of what life's all about. Yep. And then if we combine that with through glass, he says, how much is real? So much to question. An epidemic of the mannequins contaminating everything. And if you've ever watched the video, that is one of the best videos for a song. People look real. It's like these glamorous people in Hollywood. And so you see them sitting there in their chairs by the pool. And then as he swoops around it, it's a cardboard cutout. And somebody picks it up and walks off with it. Yeah, it's really, it's a cool, cool video. And then, of course, I'm sure you all know what American Idiot's about, so. Never heard it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've seen ah. pictures. Yeah. Seen the album cover. Yeah. That's so. awesome. Yeah, I remember uh, Imitation of Life. That, was that on, um, uh, what album was that on? Gosh, 
Among the Living. Duh. I should have mm-hmm. known that. Yes. Great yeah. song. Really oh, yeah. good song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was just kind of going with that identity theme. Um, kind of how you take it, I suppose. But um, <laughs> American Idiot is just brutal. <laughs> calling people out. And the other ones are too, but the other ones are a little more... Well, Through Glass is definitely subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Anthrax version is subtle in that it doesn't call out specific people, but American Idiot really does just call you out to your face. So it's kind of like through the years, here we come. Right. What is it? Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it? Oh, yeah. We're definitely repeating. All right, El Ray, what do you have for us? Well, actually, mine segues pretty nicely into the album review tonight. Um, intentionally so. So uh, I've entitled mine Under the Cover of Grunge or alternately Covered in Grunge, which I think sounds a little gross. Uh, <laughs> but I guess these days in quarantine, who's not covered in grunge about every third day? So mm. anyway, uh, I just picked out some good uh, grungy 1990s songs that bands from that era covered and did well. And I think... You can tell me if if I'm wrong, but I feel like the artists picked songs that sounded like they would have been in their catalog anyway. So I'll get to it. And a side note, I think it'd be fun just to do a 90s cover challenge again. And I left a lot on the table. So if you hear one that I missed, or if you don't hear one that I missed, I guess, then... Hey, Joe, I just want to remind you that you have the challenge next week. I know. Well, in two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, so keep in mind. We'll We'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, my first tune was uh, Girl You Want by Soundgarden, the Devo tune. Yes. It ended up sounding like a Soundgarden song in my mind. <laughs> um, something about the, they, they kind of slow it down and sludge it up like Soundgarden does. And Cornell is perfect for the vocals. So mm-hmm. uh, song two was uh, Pearl Jam, Rain Over Me, Love Rain Over Me, the Who tune. And Eddie goes full Daltrey and pulls it off really well and uh it became a live staple when he could pull it off he did a really good version of this in the uh who rock um rock honors vh1 uh, you can find it on youtube so excellent version of a band that pearl jam idolizes so they did the song real justice and then finally uh the the segue to tonight's uh discussion a song by the screaming trees working class hero from the tribute mm. to john lennon is an excellent cover yeah. And uh, it has that kind of screaming trees feel that kind of meanders and, and uh, just sort of plods right along. And Lanigan's again, it's, a, it's an issue of vocals. His vocals are just well suited for the tune. And mm-hmm. as you can see, my 90s list is wide open. There are plenty left <laughs> on the table. Those are the three that I landed on and I deleted about 21 others. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I am stoked that you picked Girl You Want. And I'm going to tell you, I have vivid memories in my basement. Uh, My brothers, we've talked about on the show before, but they were my big influence when I was a kid in the the 70s, early 80s, because they had the best stereo equipment. You know, they had part-time jobs, and that's what they spent their money on. And we had, uh, you know, a lot of vinyl. And we had Devo. And we had Girl You Want. So before I ever heard that other version, I loved that version on that Devo album. Uh, so that one really hits home for me. So that was a great choice. Good nice. to pick up. All right. JPP. I'm going to say, I'll always add to this too, that <laughs> screaming trees for me, you know, when everybody thinks about that Seattle sound and the grunge and, you know, the big bands come out of that screaming trees get left out a lot because they had one more album in 96 and then didn't have anything. And, you know, it was a struggle for them to get the album made in 92. That record is, it, it's one of my, I don't know, not top 10 necessarily, but 10, 15, it is so good. And um, I'm just, it's awesome that you picked that up and, and put that on the show tonight. I think that Screaming Trees are, like you said, they do kind of fall, not in a second tier. I don't want to at all discount the quality of their music because they are outstanding musicians. They had their demons, like you mentioned, um, but they they didn't get quite to the point of Alice in Chains mm-hmm. or Pearl Jam or Nirvana that just totally exploded. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the Seattle sound and you go just one layer deeper and you get into Mud Honey and you get into Screaming Trees and you get into some of these other bands that... Uh, 
you know, I think everybody in Seattle was perfectly fine making music in Seattle for the rest of their lives and having their own scene. And it just so happens that the nation and world really turned its eyes to it mm -hmm. and picked up on some of the stuff that was going on. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the Seattle sound is uh, the Seattle scene and sound is that all those guys were so connected and they were so uh, prolific and they, I, I, you know, it was nothing to pick up a guy from another band and have him sit in or tour with you or write songs with you or do a side project with and screaming trees had a lot of connections with um, a lot of groups, uh, stone temple pilots, mm -hmm. uh, Queens of the stone age. They did. Uh, there was a member that did the mad season project with Lane Staley and Mike McCready. Mm -hmm. It's all, all over the place and all good music, all good stuff. So, yeah, we've talked before about like Andy Wood living with Chris Cornell. Um, so, yeah, that connection is so. And I think that's probably why the sound was so vibrant and that whole scene was just incredible. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yep. Speaking of, uh, um, uh, well, Temple of the Dog, sorry. Uh, mm -hmm. I had to laugh because, you know, speaking of collaborative projects, there was a meme that it was on facebook the other day it was spongebob leaning against a tree out of breath and it's like after you've tried to do eddie vetter and chris cornell's vocal parts on <laughs> hunger strikes <laughs> accurate I, I played an abandoned college and when i first joined up um actually i was kind of pre-joined up but i went to a, a show with with the guys it was like in a church basement or something and and the guys one of the guys said you want to sit in you want to do hunger strike and i said yeah sure that's fine and uh, he goes, which part do you want to take? Well, you know which part I wanted to take. <laughs> I said, I'll take the better part. <laughs> and he looked at me like, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> then don't ask. Get your falsetto on there, buddy. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Well, it's just weird that there's only three of us. Normally, it's like, ah, oh, we got more of this to play out. But that is it. So uh, fantastic job. Great songs. Yes, sir. And then uh, next week, it looks like old JPP has the challenge. Hopefully, he won't do a live challenge. Again. No, not this time. <laughs> no, uh, that was fun, though. I thought that was cool to kind of switch yeah, that it up was a little awesome. bit and, and got some good engagement on Facebook out of it and stuff. So uh, feel free to revisit some of our posts. And if you want to play along, you're welcome to do so. And if you have commentaries on any of these episodes, feel free to give us feedback. We want to know what what uh, what you think for sure. Well, I'm going to become a complete juvenile here um, oh, good. because I couldn't think of anything deep and prolific. But you ever play that game where you uh, order some Chinese food and, you know, you eat your fortune cookie at the end and you read your fortune mm -hmm. and you end it with in bed, kind of spice it up a little bit. <laughs> yes. Pick three uh -huh. songs that, you know, seem innocent enough and end them with in bed. <laughs> Oh, I hate you. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I cannot even, you know, even if we hate the songs, just the song titles that end with In Bed, it's going to be amazing. So see if that changes the uh, market and demographic <laughs> on that, you know, the, the demand of these tunes a, a little bit or whatnot. Rock 98.5 is going to be like, uh, we can't uh, put that on our, on our uh, channel. We can't do it. All right. Three songs. Add the words In Bed. We can do that. That's going to be awesome. Sweet. Challenge accepted. All right. Well, gentlemen, that brings us up to the album review this week. And uh, we had a new album. We mentioned it earlier with Screaming Trees. And so we got Mark Lanigan, who is the lead. Well, he was the lead singer of Screaming Trees. He's got a new record out. And uh, that record is called Straight Songs of Sorrow. 15 songs. And uh, we're going to take a look at that tonight. What do you guys think? First of all, let's do some uh, quick overviews of what we know about Mark Lanigan and how we feel about this record. Do you want to take that lead, uh, Joe? I would say, well, yeah, was, Mark Lanigan's got his own vibe, his own style. Um, you can tell on this record that he's um, dealing with some things. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's, it's biographical for sure, and it's a backwards look. Uh, he did put out a memoir that came out late in april uh called sing backwards and weep and i think the album came out of writing that book he didn't think at first that he got much of a catharsis out of it he said but then as that book wrapped and he finished that up the the album came out of that 
Um, I read a quote. I've got it right here. It says, all I got was a Pandora's box full of pain and misery. This is in reference to the writing of the book. I went way in and remembered things that I'd put away 20 years ago, but I started writing these songs the minute I was done and realized there was a depth of emotion because they were all linked to memories from this book. So um, yeah. that's his style. You know, I think he's a, an emotional singer. The Screaming Trees musically had a, a different style than their grunge counterparts. Um, they weren't afraid to take some risks, I think, musically, rhythmically, as you get into the music. Uh, really unique band, really unique dude. Um, glad he's around to tell these stories. Uh, and I think he did and did so in a really proficient way here. I just, a, a long album, lots of tracks. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get tired of listening to it at all. So all the way through. Yeah, I a couple of interesting things, and I'm going to unfairly review this later, obviously, because I'm going to compare it a little bit to Screaming Trees, and I hold that one so near and dear. Um, but I would say that one of the things that I wrote down after I listened to this is that all of the songs have a chance to breathe. There's never any rushing. So when those emotions are, you know, he's singing and and putting his emotions out there for us, it never feels rushed. I mean, every song just bleeds with, with, with his emotion. But one thing that I kind of dug that was different from say his earlier days is he did dabble a little bit in some electronica. He, he, uh, his music definitely wasn't just guitars and drums and all, you know, there was some synth going on and, um, there was some production going on, which I thought was pretty cool for somebody who is so old school and his lyrics are old school and felt. Uh, so I think in that way, it was really an interesting record. Yeah. And as you talked about the breathing of the songs, that that, that makes a lot of sense with the electronic angle too. the fact that you set the pace, you you lean back on that a little bit and let that electronic part sort of drive the song along. And then you add your emotional stuff on top of it. I, I did like that. It started electronic, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm, the opening, the opening lines are are uh, synthesized and and computerized. So it was a nice touch, and it wasn't overdone. It wasn't overblown. It wasn't cheesy. I think it was just a right, right, right time, right spot, right amount. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, admittedly, when I first gave it a listen, I was very swamped and was trying to squeeze it in with everything else going on. Uh, I actually, after a busy day and having it on kind of in the background and really didn't pay two minutes of attention to it, I popped it on at night before I went to bed. Usually I'll wind down. Sometimes I can get a full album in and sometimes I'm lucky to get five minutes. <laughs> uh, that night was kind of tough to sleep, so I was able to really ingest a lot of it and what's funny is that first time i listened to it i fell in and out of sleep a couple of times and it was on repeat so i i picked it up at different moments and uh of course you know at one point i was back at the beginning another point i was later on in the album so it gave me a really disjunct journey but one thing i did notice was no matter what things definitely had its own unique flavor from tune to tune so i didn't feel like i was getting any sort of monotony of course there's a lot of more simplistic electronic elements, which I like a lot. Um, and the tunes that had it did it very well, much like what Joe said. And the, I guess if I were to make any kind of association of what it kind of reminded me of, in a way it reminded me of Moby and that he does some minimal electronic music a lot of the time. And it was very, you know, very rich in texture and nature as far as the sound I heard, but it was real scaled back on what it took to make those sounds, which I really enjoyed. I I don't like uh, at times when somebody goes overboard and puts way too many elements in and things get too busy. You know, as a musician, I can certainly appreciate a lot of attention to detail and and thought, much like Trent Reznor, of course, he layers things Mm -hmm. and, and things are intentional. But sometimes when you kind of take the the canvas and you just put the paint on and let the colors wash and tell the story that way. It's also equally as intriguing. And that's what I got from this album. It was very much kind of like a, a blank canvas that, you know, colors were smeared in a lot of different ways, but they painted a beautiful picture at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost think like the word is tasteful because yeah. you can really get out in the weeds with some electronic stuff. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's a, uh, a hallmark of his uh, proof of his, musicianship and his experience in the biz you know and mm-hmm. and he's made solo records and screaming trees albums for years you know so i mean at this point 
it, yeah, it could all be said and done. He could settle down into the formula. He could, uh, you know, he's not trying to make hits either. He's trying to tell a story. He's trying to make mm-hmm. uh, a companion to this book that he wrote. And there was some deep stuff in here. And I like that, you know, you'll go from electronic to just kind of a lilting acoustic uh, riff in the very next track. Right. And, and it, it, it didn't feel misplaced. It didn't feel like the track order was out of order or anything like that. It just felt good from track to track. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that was, that made it really fun was the fact that, you know, it's almost like opening a new cereal box. Am I going to get prize a am i going to get prize b you know mm-hmm. a little new and uh, you know admittedly yes i'd heard screaming trees back in the day but kind of after things fell to the wayside in the late 90s and i'd moved on to other music i'd kind of forgotten about them and i hate to say that but it kind of turned me back on and so i'm going to be pursuing a journey with this a little more uh, head on going forward yeah excellent and i you know you guys were talking about like the subdued sort of electronica um, I wouldn't want to say the first song does offer that, but then the second song has a lot of really tight guitar work, the intricate guitar work, Apples from a Tree, which <laughs> is, uh, which I think is really cool that this album from the start is, uh, it's very random in what kind of sound you're going to get. The one constant is that voice, very serious his voice in the past was always gruff, but I think when he was with Screaming Trees, he was a lot more varied with how he sang. And this one, it's a very gruff voice throughout, depending on, uh, and, and it doesn't matter what what he was actually uh, singing over. Uh, so Apples from a Tree, he sings very much the same as I wouldn't want to stay or say, uh, but the music is different underneath it. One of the things that I thought, here's, Joe, this is what I was talking about earlier. I was out writing, doing my writing mower, and I was listening to this record. I listened to it probably 10 times. So not just flippantly saying this. But this album, to me, while I do like it, it's a plane that taxis for 15 songs but never takes off. Ooh. Okay. That's fair. And here are my two examples that really stand out to me. And, and it, I want to talk about the record a little bit because there are some lyrics that really slay me. But if you look back at Screaming Trees, not the guitar work, not the band work, but his vocals, songs like Dollar Bill or Julie Paradise are very serious songs that start off kind of slow, but really boom. His voice can explode and really do some dynamic things. They don't do that anymore. And that could be the difference of 30 years. And that's unfair of me to critique him for being older. Um, But I love his voice in those early songs when he really could let it go and start off kind of slow and build up and crescendo. And I don't feel like we get that here. And I I do miss it. Um, And that's definitely a personal thing. But I really want some of these songs to take off and go someplace and a lot of them just don't. I hear that. I hear what you're saying. Uh, okay, sorry, making sure I wasn't on mute there. But um, that, that was what was kind of interesting to me. And, and to your point, yes, I mean, 30 years can certainly make a huge difference. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the Motley Crue comeback, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's just sad. I, I hate to see that in a lot of ways because they were such a high energy band and it's just, you know, it becomes more like just crowd pleasing to see them. But you know, let's face it, Vince is having a hard time really staying consistent with mm-hmm. belting out those vocals. And it's, it's a damn shame, but um, you know, nonetheless, he, he's found a way to evolve and, you know, tell the story. And, you know, to the point too, maybe he's capable of doing that. Maybe he felt like the emotions really needed something that was a little more, my chest is ripped open, you know, I'm done kind of weeping about it. And I just need to solemnly declare this, this information too. Um, you know, I'm not in his head, so I can't speak either way, but I can, I could see that being, you know, one of two scenarios essentially. Yeah. I was kind of pondering the range too, as you, that's an absolutely fair analysis. And I think you're right too, but, uh, I think Paul's on to something too, when it's like, what kind of an album did he exactly set out to make? And, and, you know, we've got to keep in mind too, that these, um, grunge guys, that are still putting out music, they have grown up quite a bit. And that's been another thing that I've really appreciated about 
not only growing up with that music, but now that I'm a more mature music listener and I can listen to it with a different um, set of ears and I know some of the backstory and I know where these guys have been. Um, not that I don't want to hear a good old fashioned growl, scream, you know, insert rock cliche vocal here, but uh, you know, I also really appreciate a record like this where you replace some of that with uh, like a, like a duet for instance, or some nice backing vocals or um, something that relies a little bit more on the music. So I'm still working. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm processing too, just thinking through the range of these tracks and, and where those vocal elements might possibly have shown up. So. Well, a couple of things that really stood out to me. Uh, I, I like the lyric writing. It's kind of antithesis. We've got some opposition going on. If you start with the first song, I wouldn't want to say, he says rapture or apocalypse, actress or receptionist, sanctified, crucified. He goes through that whole thing, which I thought was really cool. But then um, later, and this is probably my favorite song on the album, is Burying Ground. Um, it's the same thing again. I've been up, Lord. I've been down. I told you once, baby. I told you twice. So far up, Lord. So far down. It's just these oppositions that he goes through. It seems like like what you said earlier, Joe, and I didn't know that he had written that, but he's dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, and then ketamine, which we all know from Joe Rogan, which has been kind of a joke, but obviously it's about soothing pain. But that song is about dealing with some pain. So it's very clear that throughout the writing of this album, um, he definitely was dealing with some stuff. And I, I think that his lyrics and um, the way that he sang I think it really comes through. And I really like that aspect of this album. I think it starts off strong. Uh, we've, we've gotten through those first three tracks and we get to ketamine. I think it's, it kicks off a really solid middle core of this album. Once I get to actually game of love, once I get out of that and get into ketamine, I'm hooked on the next five or six tracks I'm in. Um, whereas, you know, the end you might skip around or you might maybe decide you've had enough, but, um, I love the song, what, which one is it? internal hourglass discussion kind of talks about like what Steve was talking about. Another one of those, uh, revelation of my pain dealing with my past, um, lots of, um, overt and also not so obvious drug references. Um, the one that I'm referring to internal hourglass discussion has a line in it about, um, the will to change uh, all this and, and he just keeps repeating that phrase all, all on this beautiful day you know it's satirical you know it's not a beautiful day you know that it's a it's a mess of a day and he's screwed up and he mentions having the will to change he obviously doesn't have the will to change he's trying he knows where it is he just can't get to it um, but he's singing about walking through the city uh, i assume seattle there's some references to seattle in there and it's a beautiful day but he's just dead on his feet <laughs> just moving without any purpose so but yeah uh ketamine uh, the singles in there too is, is bleed all over the single mm -hmm. yes yeah it's release i did that was i i actually had initially put that down and then i pulled it and then um the other song that really hit me hard was church bells ghost uh i feel like that song, there's some serious desperation going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, all my life, I've held this hammer, hammered boulders into stones. Now I choke on tears of anger and I'm quickly growing cold. Lord, I wish that you could see me. I stagger now a wounded Atlas. That guy who has held the, the weight of the world on his shoulders is just struggling. I mean, that's one of those that really hit me. Um, and his voice, his vocals for a song like that, for that message are perfect. Yeah. And that's definitely one of my favorites on this album as well. Uh, <clears throat> I remember I heard that, you know, the first night and, uh, made a mental note, definitely revisit, uh, you know, aside from the lyrics, just the, the thick texture that comes in and, you know, just the way it, it kind of pulses through was, was very enjoyable as well. Yeah, Absolutely. He's got this kind of a, I, I, I heard a lot of blues style structures in there. 
maybe mm-hmm. not exactly 12 bars, but he's got his own way of singing the blues. And mm-hmm. he puts a lot of atmosphere and space in there musically uh, with the electronic elements. It kind of makes this new kind of grungy blues. Uh, like I said, his, his voice is perfectly suited for being a blues singer, but he does it on his own terms. Uh, I also thought that Church Bells was an outstanding track just about having these demons taking them on the road with you. So is it about touring? Is it about being a, a working musician? Is because he's finding himself in Charlotte, finding himself in Jacksonville, you know, life's moving. He's moving along with it. Just kind of like floating downstream. Uh, all those, all of those tools, breaking boulders, you know, are they veiled drug references? Are they just life stuff? Who knows? It's, it's great either way. It's well said. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of point out some other favorites on here as well. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, Church Bell's Ghosts. I liked the internal hourglass discussion. Skeleton Key definitely hit me mm-hmm. in the right way, too. I liked the way he played with the vocal melody on that one. It's funny because when I first heard the the opening track, I kind of felt like the vocals didn't have a fixed form, much like Skeleton Key. It didn't really have that rhythmic verse chorus type formula to it. It was much like the painting the canvas it just kind of felt like he sung over it to tell the story it was just kind of a a recital per se not necessarily uh you know a a bridged or mapped out tune and it it was for the most part but at the same time like you said earlier he's not out writing hits he's out telling the story it it fit that moment very very well so skeleton key definitely kind of tightened that up and and i like the way he resolved the end of every you know verse too with the kind of the major uh, tone that would kick in and uh, suspend it and bring it down and stuff like that. Trent Reznor does that particular pitch a lot too in, in the scale. And it's just, it's just fun to hear that employed. Um, also, let's see, Hanging On For, that was interesting. Uh, Ballad of a Dying Rover. I mean, really, every, every tune had uh, something fresh to bring to me. And I definitely want to dig in a lot deeper on the lyrical aspect and, and the full package. But uh, you know, those are the ones that stood out, as as did uh, Burying Ground, too. But um, I'm certainly, like I said earlier, this really excited me because this was something much like we say at times that I wouldn't have sought out before. But it's mm-hmm. definitely opened up a new door for me to, to pursue uh, for playlists and such. Skeleton Key didn't feel like a seven minute song either, because there are all these no. chapters that you mm-hmm. listen to through and and you know once you get the it's it's a very catchy melody it's you know where it's going and you kind of anticipate each new verse uh and what the where the lyrics will take you that's where putting on a good pair of headphones and laying back i can imagine laying in bed and listening to this right before you pass out for the day is probably pretty exciting on a song like skeleton key but it did not feel like it was uh clocked in at just under seven minutes but yeah it's kind of almost satisfying. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like an expanded, I can't remember what they're called, forgive me for my lack of musical history, but, you know, in the Renaissance period where they had sonnets and things where they had to formulate little verses and limericks and things like that, it kind of had that vibe to it where, you know, the information was key, but it certainly had a particular set of rules that it stayed in to, to carry on and continue. So absolutely, you know, I, I'll have to dig deeper and see if there was more intent beyond that, but uh, it, that was super interesting. Now, you mentioned uh, Burying Ground. That was the one that had the nice, kind of had the tremolo hit at the beginning, right? Yeah, the the guitar kind of thing going on. Love that tune as well. Really good. Yep. Yeah, that's one that you feel like could be a single or should be out there to the world. It it fits everybody's bill. It's it's deep. has a great message. It's got great music, great lyrics, Mm -hmm. vocals. I mean, it's one of those. It's got the whole package. You would think that people would latch on to i almost feel and it could be a thematic thing because burying ground sounds like a country tune but i almost feel like he pulls in we've we've talked about electronics we talked about grunge we've talked about just good solid rock and roll but i almost feel like in there that there's just weepy country so like this was born out of just steel guitar uh tear in my beer country and i know it doesn't sound like that musically but i think if you go down a little deeper i think the seeds of it are there paul do you, do you hear that in there as well or yeah yeah and to your point I, it kind of makes me wonder what the beginning medium was for these tunes you know of course 
the stories were unveiled, like you said, with his previous release with the book. But it's like, did he set out to write the lyrics first and then write around those? Or did some of them kind of come from ideas that he was tinkering with on the guitar or in electronic music elements, et cetera? But uh, nonetheless, it's fascinating how everything is put together with a, a stark contrast at times, but yet remains consistent. Mm-hmm. I would say that more than a Western or a country song, it sounds more like an old spiritual. I mean, we've, times, we've, yeah. I've been up, Lord, I've been down so far up, Lord. So, you know, I mean, it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, people cling into their religion. There's, you know, and I, I used the word antithesis a little bit ago, and it's it's true. There's a lot of, you know, opposites going on in this song. And uh, I just think it's a phenomenal song. It would be interesting to to talk about what Paul was saying to, to to know more about the writing process. I don't think he brought a lot of riffs into the studio. I imagine a lot of it happened pretty close to one another. You know, the music and the lyrics came pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe at the end he thought, well, let's throw some nice strings over top of this, or let's you know throw that extra layer in. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really. I'm going to seek that out. That's going to be my homework. I'm going to invite him onto the show. <laughs> I'm just then, I doing it. then i won't seek it out because i just don't even care i'm gonna invite him <laughs> hear it from the horse's mouth side note you know we ought to swing for the fences once in a while if we can get a hold of these people you know maybe they ought to take a chance on a little podcasting crew that you know just some guys talking about their albums i mean what do they have to lose nothing and that's why michael servolo came on the show because yep. <laughs> um, he liked what we did because we review entire albums and um we're pretty honest folk and we talk about music and that's he liked that so he came on so i will ask him i don't care sweet I, do it um i like to back to tracks that we really liked uh, i was going to mention too that he has this sort of call and answer style with his vocals Mm-hmm. And it's highlighted in uh, daylight in the nocturnal house. Mm-hmm. Um, it it almost feels like he's uh, he could sing this in a duet, but he his his style, like I said, call and answer is the best way I know where he sings apart and kind of sings back to himself the way that he crafts his melody lines, and mm-hmm. that was a standout tune for me as well. So good stuff. Good. Let good me ask you a question. <laughs> so every time I pull up. Apple Music, I suppose it's the same on Spotify. They put some kind of designation for the singles, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. did, was if, if you didn't know and you listened to this whole record, would that would Bleed All Over be the one that you thought was the single? Honestly, no. <laughs> I'm trying to look. It, it wouldn't for me either. I, I That's why I was asking that question. It's um, Burying Ground would have been the one I thought, oh, man, that's your single right there, you know. But I think I thought Stockholm City Blues would have been. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, it's funny because according to Spotify, the top three singles and EPs for uh, this was uh, Stockholm City Blues, Bleed All Over, and Skeleton Key. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> so what you're saying is I'm a moron. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that's what the algorithm says. But what's interesting is there's a popular list at the top of it. And none of the tunes from, well, actually, with the exception of Internal Hourglass Discussion, everything else is previous releases. Interesting. But, yeah, I've got, I've, there's a lot of releases. I've got some homework to do. This will be great. Yeah. I definitely feel like the Screaming Trees didn't get their due. No. Um, I feel, you know, they had, what, one radio single? Is <laughs> nearly lost you about it. Um yeah, and the rest of that record is phenomenal. Um, God, and I, you know, I mentioned those two songs, Dollar Bill and Julie Paradise, but there are others too on that one. And then they had a, one more record a few years later, and then they disappeared. But man, I mean, that if you go back now and you just pull that up and listen to that, that record it from beginning to end, it is solid. There isn't anything bad on it. Um, and they got buried in the wake of, what was an amazing movement and some amazing groups. So it's sad, but mm-hmm. it's true. I asked my son today because he's a real music buff. I'm like, you ever listen to them? Nope. He put it on his list today. He's going to listen. So hopefully I'll <laughs> find out if he likes it. But well, yeah. and I don't know. I don't know much about uh, Mark Lanigan. I'd actually like to take his biography now um, based on this album. Now that we have, it feels like a package deal to me. Mm-hmm. And since we have nothing but time, 
nowadays. Why don't we go for it? So um, he did. He, maybe he didn't have the type of uh, personality that led him to be the front man that would show up in Spin or Rolling Stone. Uh, Eddie Vedder is known as throughout music as one of the nicest guys. Very intelligent. I think as much as he wants to eschew fame, he's he's pretty warm, and I think he's settled into it. We all know Kurt Cobain's story. Uh, out of Nirvana came Dave Grohl. You know, and some of those guys got their due, and and maybe Lanigan and the rest of the Screaming Trees just didn't want it, didn't want to leave Seattle, had demons to fight, uh, what whatever. It was just kind of a perfect storm of, of I, I think that's the story of Seattle, though, is just, as I've mentioned before, the perfect storm of who made it out and who, who kind of stayed behind and who was more comfortable with the Seattle thing. Because the, the truth about Seattle is, after the grunge movement was over, they all went home and continued to make music together. So right. that was that, uh, which is pretty cool. They, um, I, I, in my search for um, cover songs, I came across a list that Screaming Trees had done, and they put out, it was a 1988 sub-pop called Subtop 200 release, and they covered Love or Confusion, which is a Jimi Hendrix song. They did it very well. Mm, Noisy right. and chaotic. It was very good. Uh, right up their alley so i will have to listen to that that's awesome check it I, out you know speaking of you know all those bands i pulled up a list some of them like i was wanted to make an honorable mention on one band at least but there are so many that the names like now that i see them it's like oh yes of course i completely forgot about that band but tad was one of them mm -hmm. uh, from yeah. from the movement that definitely had a moment on headbangers ball but didn't see much of them after that but some great great tunes of course you've got the melvins You've got uh, groups like Skin Yard and uh, <laughs> L7. You can't go wrong with yep. them as well. But yep. uh, And what's funny is there's a band here at the last of the list I, I'd never heard of. They were aptly titled Cat Butt. So I'll have to give that a <laughs> listen too. You guys don't love Cat Butt? Seriously? <laughs> well, they're, they are uh, at the bottom of the list with fecal matter. So maybe that uh, mm. association has something to do with it. And then the, the band that uh, takes the third place is Dickless. So I'm starting to see a pattern here. If Dickless Catbutt went together, watch yep. out. <laughs> However, what's funny is in between the band Dickless and another band called The Wipers is Sunny Day Real Estate. So <laughs> my pattern has been broken. Perfect. Quite a bill. That'd be that'd be a hell of a um, festival to go take out on the road. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, bring them on. The Wipers, followed by Dickless. <laughs> no, All right, gentlemen. Let's let's go ahead and. Uh wrap this album up and give it a a score i'm gonna go uh with first with uh, metalhead monday he sent me a text he mm -hmm. said it's okay there was a little hit and miss with him sometimes his voice got weird in a way that he didn't love um and he gave it a two out of five probably wasn't going to revisit too much so uh jpp what would you give it well first monday's a grumpy old man you know he, he is he, ever since Fiona Apple, I've, I've noticed a pattern with him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll dig it out later. Yeah, but exactly. I'm going to give this album a solid four, honestly, um, just mm. because it, it pleasantly surprised me. And it's kind of opened my um, seeking of inspiration in, into a new path. And, uh, you know, I love electronic music and, you know, I love guitar driven music as well. So the fact that, you know, there was some interesting ways to employ both. Uh, definitely makes me want to kind of jam along and have fun with it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And as well as I know it's, you know, kind of deeply personal as well. So I, I want to kind of dig into that and, you know, give them a pat on the shoulder and, you know, here for you, bud, in that regard too. Cause this is what the ultimate thing I can say about it is so deeply personal. And what made me enjoy the album is the fact that as an artist who is in an industry now where there's a lot of bubble gum out there and there's a lot of having to keep up with people's quote standards on the internet. Well, they didn't do it this way, so it's not good. That's all bullshit. And, you know, he's just being an artist and expressing himself artistically. And that's what, you know, pulls on my heartstrings right there is the fact that it has a hundred percent integrity. Yeah. Awesome. Four out of five. Nice. Uh, Joe, what do you think? I'd say a four and a half out of five. I first initially kind of jumped on it when we decided we were going to listen to it. And, you know, that first pass through an album is a critical one. But then the ones, the subsequent ones that are the pass that the songs start to jump out at you. 
the more that I put it on, the more I'd find myself going to the middle, hitting that sweet spot that I mentioned that began with ketamine and ended somewhere around burying ground. Honestly, it was a good eight or 10 track run that was just really enjoyable. And I could pick up any, any tune in there and just start over. So the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. And then the more I read about it, uh, the more I really decided that this was a story kind of worth exploring. So I think I will check out the biography. I think I will go back and give the Screaming Trees another listen. I'll admit that I was probably 15 or 16 when they were really big, and it wasn't so much that they were bad. I don't know if I would have understood them as much back then in my teenage years. It was just that everything else that was coming out then was so much more, you know, I was radio-friendly stuff, Bush, uh, Pearl Jam, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, you name it. That kind of music captured us a little more. And I think that I wasn't quite the music fan that I am now back then. So I don't, I don't think Screaming Trees would have done anything for me back then, but I think it will now. I think I'm going to explore. So part of the album, maybe the, the 0.5 that I tacked onto the four came from the, the motivation to seek out more of the catalog and do my homework on the get reconnected with the Screaming Trees. So there we go. Right. On. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, I know I said that the album never takes off and that was a problem for me, <laughs> but that was my, my being rude and uh, comparing it to something that I loved in the past. And I hate, you know, you hate to make it a remark like that, but it comes from a point of that. I love screaming trees so much. And um, so anyway, I, I would say probably a four out of five. And it's simply for the fact that, I love his voice when it explores new levels and can go different places. Uh, I, after listening the first couple of times, and seriously, I listened at least 10 times and like seriously listened to it, and it got better every time. But when I got into those lyrics, that's what really lifted it for me because they are so heartfelt, and his voice is, it, there's a growl there. It's like the old Johnny Cash. You know, when he got older, the songs were more intense. And I kind of got that out of it. So it definitely lifted it up for me. Could even go higher than a four. I don't know if I keep listening to it. But um, unfairly or not, I definitely dinged it a little bit because of my love for Screaming Trees. So I'm going to say four out of five. And I am going to definitely ask him to come on the show because uh, these songs need some explanation. They, they need a little rounding out. They need some background. Uh, because when you hear some of these lyrics it's like uh they're enigmatic enough that i can take them into my own life but you know there's something there and i want to know what that is absolutely and that's cool i mean sorry joe i didn't mean to step on your toes but i was just gonna say it's, it's nice to hear lyrics that um can open up the door for multiple interpretations and have mm -hmm. some some actual you know depth to them in an abstract nature and not so so face value you stepped on my toe you hurt me you were a bad boyfriend sing that five times hit <laughs> yeah well well so much of that stuff is created in the lab nowadays for pop music this is a guy who's lived the life and he knows what it looks like the the lows and the highs you know some of the we get a little bit starstruck when we get these musicians in mind but we don't we forget how they live at their worst and uh, i don't know again i don't know where his story took him exactly i know that the, the drug scene in Seattle was dark uh, at mm -hmm. best. If it wasn't you, it was your bandmate or your buddy, or it was Andy Wood or it was Lane Staley or insert, you know, tragic story here. And those guys lived it. And now fortunately for us, we get a lot of good music out of it. Um, so I hope that, I hope it helps them for sure. But I was going to say, Steve, you're right on. I think you, you are totally justified in everything you say tonight uh, i'd also like to i'd like to ha hear more than just monday's written response <laughs> i think there's more to it as there always is but mm -hmm. but it is does work out that there was there's only three of us tonight because it's an hour's worth of music and we went in depth between the three of us because imagine how long this would have been if all five of us were here <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah and you just mentioned something joe that made me think about this but we talk about you know highly produced music so the, the interesting juxtaposition here is that he does some highly produced sounds and some new modern stuff, but it's that growly voice over it that 
is like such a throwback to the old days. Um, and they are so meaningful. And yet he's got this underlayer of this new technology going on, which I think is kind of another layer of why this album is pretty cool. So I'll leave it with that. Agreed. Good way to close it. All right, gentlemen. So next week, I mean, we're, you know, we're not stopping here. Next week, we got another industry vet, Michael Cervolo from uh, Gene Loves Jezebel. His group, uh, Beauty and Chaos, they have another album coming out, and that's on the 22nd, I believe. So we're going to check that one out. We're going to review that one for you next week. Um, next week, Joe is going to deliver Lester Bang's challenge. Hopefully, he'll come up with something to stump Mr. Mundy. And uh, <laughs> Paul... Um, he is uh, having his pick songs that end with in bed. I can't even wait. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> Gentlemen, before we go tonight, where can we find you on social media? JPP, go. I am on Instagram under just plain Paul, all one word. And you can find me at the Facebook page at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. Fantastic. El Ray is my instagram handle yes elray4 <laughs> <laughs> on the instagram and i have committed to taking a few more pictures and telling a few more stories on that social media outlet so find me at elray4 e-l-r-e-y and the number four hashtag no filter no filter <laughs> just like i'm a camel cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be in your theme song so anyway i i am foggy <laughs> And uh, you can find me at Foggy's Pal on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me over at BreakTheForth.com. Can't so get the until, sound without the camel cigarettes, right? You can't. <laughs> I wonder, we're going to have Mark Lanigan on the show, and we're going to ask him about that. We're going to see how we can get cool voices. That's right. Come on, Maybe man. we can practice. I don't know. <laughs> until Howdy next week. <laughs> <laughs> we got Wolfman Jack in the studio again. <laughs> We'll see y'all next week. Bye now. Bye.